Well, greetings. This is John Van Bladel from the Building Peace Initiative at YouWantAPeaceOfMeOnline.com. Our podcast today is going to be Why Empathy? Uh, once again, I'll be inviting the bell of mindfulness occasionally uh, to slow me down a bit and let what I've said have time to be considered. Uh, when you hear the bell, just take three normal breaths in and out, and then we'll move on. So I'll invite the bell now just to breathe a little bit. So I hope you've tried some of the meditation exercises I've posted on the Building Peace Initiative website. Uh, They're really helpful. Uh, They limit the amount of anxiety and depressive stuff that I have sometimes, you know, when your moods swing too wide, it's an opportunity to check in with your thoughts, your feelings, and reset your cognitions. So, why have empathy? Well, it's it's important for developing compassion, which we're going to address more fully in later podcasts, but why not just embrace social Darwinism? We'll play Me First or sort of this game of Highlander that goes on. Um, We see that with some of our big companies, two of them, let's say just Twitter and, um, what's the other one, Amazon, uh, where they're going for world domination at this point. When we think that way in a social Darwinist uh, mentality, uh, we're thinking, well, don't we have to protect ourselves and our families first? Well, I'm going to name drop a little bit here again. Uh, Here's a quote that I picked up at the age of 17 during my first semester at SUNY Geneseo, the Harvard of the SUNY system. Um, At that point, it was composed of a bunch of first-generation blue-collar kids like me who didn't know anything about college. Um, But this is a quote I've carried with me to every workplace, apartment, or house I've ever inhabited. So here it goes. A human being is a part of the whole, called by us universe a part limited in time and space. He experiences himself, his thoughts, and feelings as something separated from the rest, a kind of optical delusion of his consciousness. This delusion is a kind of prison for us, restricting us to our personal desires and to affection for a few persons nearest to us. Our task must be to free ourselves from this prison by widening our circle of compassion to embrace all living creatures and the whole of nature in its beauty. Now just take a moment to let that one sink in. Uh, This came from a physicist who saw the world differently than others. He was one of what I call those X-people when it comes to our understanding of our place in the universe. And there's plenty more of them out there, and I've touched on a few of them in my podcasts, uh, that understand the concept of interdependence. Now, the spirit of that quote is something I strive to embrace, but I really have difficulty achieving it. Um... I understand it on an emotional and a intellectual level, but I don't consistently feel it. Now, sharing moments with people that you care about, um, maybe a walk in the woods, or just not even being with someone, but being by yourself, a walk in the woods, seeing a hawk or an eagle gliding by in the sky, a beautiful sunset, a sunrise being on the ocean, I could see myself on the beach with the mist just blowing over as the sun sets, 
uh, reading or listening to people like Thich Nhat Hanh, Paul Farmer, Greta Thunberg. Um, when you do it by yourself, you have one experience, but when you have another person, it tends to be more deep. You have that shared sense of connectedness. Now, all of these things um, and people, when we connect with them, break down barriers uh, by connecting us to each other and the world around us. Now, to striving to grasp Einstein, Einstein's words, that was the quote from Einstein that I just read, uh, in mind, body, and spirit um, has been an uneven process throughout my life depending on the circumstances. It's so important to remain connected to each other through the experience of empathy. Without empathy, we can't have the compassion Uncle Albert spoke about. I call him my uncle because, in a sense, we're all interconnected, right? Um, <laughs> he is my uncle because, yes, indeed, and we can go back to, what is it, uh, physical anthropology, uh, where the gene pool was really small when we almost went extinct as a species. Uh, and we can make the argument that, yes, we all came from the same type of gene pool. Um, no, I haven't been on psilocybin. This is me just thinking. And you've heard my position on drugs at this point. Um, I really kind of am there without them. So, having empathy, you can be an expansive and divergent thinker. Uh, it's hard to in the society that holds us into roles and certain ways of thinking. But look back to empathy. Having empathy can be very difficult at times because sharing another's pain is hard. And because sometimes we have our own issues to deal with that block us off. So people like me who seek to tend to isolate and close off when we get under too much stress and try and figure it out ourselves, um, that's not a particularly good strategy. Uh, we do need some space at times, but that's diff different than being lonely. So if you're contemplating something alone, that's one thing. If you're contemplating something and you just feel lonely and long for that connection, that's a whole other thing. Um, so we need to create that nucleus of people. Um, I'm, I'm hesitant to say like-minded, but just people who actually share some empathy and are willing to listen. Now, our physiological state has a lot to do with our ability to accept and offer empathy. Uh, when I have a lot of personal stresses, and in the past, um, a lot of people that I was angry at, well, not that many, but just some really people who took some of my focus away from me, <clears throat> I showed less, less empathy. And I showed less empathy because I was basically in fight-flight mode. And that is often referred to as the reptilian brain um, and a reptilian brain is the home of what's referred to by some as the four Fs, fight, flight, feed, and fornicate. Uh, there are basic survival systems and things like body temperature, blood pressure, uh, survival needs are regulated here. Uh, now, if we're in the four Fs, our higher brain function, the cerebral cortex, is essentially disabled for a bit or maybe even longer in cases of, say, PTSD. Uh, the cerebral cortex is a structure that deals with impulse control and decision-making. Um, the rational part of us, if that really does exist, uh, for me it exists occasionally. Uh, in the middle of everything is the limbic system, where those in innate affects we're going to talk about reside. Um, the physical structure of it can actually be shaped by stress, and there's a lot of research out there about what happens to your brain structure when you're under stress. Uh, and as an example, the amygdala. The amygdala 
um, scans the environment for fear and dread, and then sets or for danger. It creates some of the emotions that can be related to it, or fear and dread, uh, and then we behave as though we're fearful. And this sets off a whole cascade of stress reactions within us. Uh, and it's actually been found that the amygdala is smaller in people who've been exposed to various abuses, trauma, and actually neglect. So exposure to constant stress is going to continue to overactive, overactivate this system, and you're going to become hypervigilant, uh, always looking for danger. And, and it doesn't have to be intense stress. It can be chronic moderate stress, such as unpredictability, uh, that chips away at our lives over time and our minds and bodies. Uh, we need something solid somewhere in our lives. Now, you know, I had a I had a thought the other day that I hadn't encountered for a while. Um, I don't remember a time as a child where I was told that everything was going to be okay. And that explains a whole lot of things because I rarely feel like things are going to be okay. Um, always preparing for sort of the next challenge which will come along. And there's a good side and a, down, and a bad side to that one. Um, you lose the moment, and that's part of the problem with that. So a lot of people in this world are caught in fight-flight. They're essentially experiencing different levels of PTSD and see much of the world as a threat they have to protect themselves against. Now, when COVID arrived, with the resulting economic, political upheaval, uncertainty um, about a germ we couldn't even really detect, not knowing where this was going to take us, um, plus listening to the media, uh, which very often can be inflammatory. We just got through an election cycle here, um, emotionally and also physically. Uh, and plus having to deal with the mis- and disinformation, some of it targeted to get you amped up by the various algorithms so you make emotional decisions uh, rather than ones based on the rational part of you. That's a lot to take in. And then on top of that, we just have like a United Nations report that just came out that said that uh, climate Oh, sea level rise is accelerating. We're having more problems out there environmentally. This is a lot to take in. It makes it really hard to calm down and listen to each other. So in essence, if you feel like you're in a jungle constantly being pursued by hungry wild animals, there's no time to relax. Um, and again, as I've said, there's a lot out there, particularly in the media, that is geared to keeping you on edge so that you'll stay tuned in and basically it increases profits for them. But now, if we can activate empathy, what happens is we have a chance to find some common ground, engage our brain's higher functioning, and this is really where mindfulness comes in, and I'd really refer you to some of the, the meta-meditation by Kavita Maharaj that I um, posted. I mean, she's really good. Um, I find her to be genuine and really has a presence, but that's a way to start to settle yourself down when you're confronted with all these other things I just mentioned. Now, we're wired to feel emotions. Uh, it's in our DNA. If you take a look at Tompkins' affects, there's nine of them. Uh, enjoyment, joy... Interest, excitement, surprise, startle, anger, rage, fear, terror, distress, anguish. Let's see, shame, humiliation, I think it's disgust and dismell. 
Now, these affects, which, by the way, are cross-cultural, you see them in the face of babies throughout the world, they develop into emotions. And then the interesting part really starts to happen. We're taught how and when to express emotions and when not to express them. And this is determined by our culture, gender, societal norms. And what happens is we develop a, a set of expectations or a script is developed for us, and our personality develops around it. Now that insight is from the website that I'll be providing on a you want a piece of me online.com the building peace initiative but the idea with these emotions is to stay in the top two or three as much as possible uh, it's the seed that gets watered that takes root and some of these affects become very difficult to uproot now if you're in uh, enjoyment joy interest excitement uh, that's a nice place to spend a lot of time but if you're in fear terror or shame and humiliation that's very unpleasant so why am I telling you this well, because we have strong emotions, um, and at times it can be difficult to calm down. But if we can find a way to calm our physiology and mind down, then we can give ourselves time to see the reality of what's going around, what's going on around us, and choose a way to respond. Now, this is basically cognitive therapy, therapy and mindfulness combined. It's going to help us to develop new ways of responding to events. Uh, we actually re rewire our brain just by what we think. Uh, for example, if you wake up in the morning, and you've probably had this experience with people, how you doing? Same shit, different day. <laughs> well, you've really made a choice, and you're going to start not having a very good day. But if you wake up with this particular mantra, waking up this morning, I smile. Uh, 24 brand new hours are before me. I vow to live fully in each moment and to look at all beings with eyes of compassion. That changes things. That's by Thich Nhat Hanh, by the way. Uh, let's see. Uh, empathy. A little. I'm going to also post something from Psychology Today. It was a blog. It's not really in-depth, but it's helpful to you. Um, they, due to the mirror neurons that we possess, uh, infants as young as 18 hours show responsiveness um, to other infants in distress. Now, we don't teach babies how to do that. It's been hardwired into their brains. Um, and as empathy starts to grow, uh, we start to understand that people are distinct from us and that other people may have different feelings and perspectives than our own. Now, this is a lot different than something called egocentrism, which you see in four-year-olds. And by the way, I don't believe most of us get past four years old emotionally when it comes to this. Uh, learning to play well with others takes a good deal of time. I always think of the game of Risk and some of the terrible losers that on the few times that I've ever played Risk, uh, gosh, you know, this conquer the world mentality is ingrained in us from, from an early age. But egocentrism means we can't see a situation from another person's perspective. Um, people in this stage, they believe the world's all about them. It's the all about me phase, and that's going to be the title of my future memoirs. And if you want to see all about me, I don't know. Uh, take a look at a reality show sometimes. Uh, take a look at some people in Congress, I guess, uh, who are very, very focused on themselves. Um, I probably shouldn't say that because that's judgmental. Uh, but when you find yourself being really irritated um, by people who are self-centered, you're running about the all-about-me uh, people. And we'll probably do a po podcast on that in the future. So... Between the ages of three and five, children begin to develop more empathy, and they leave their egocentric world behind. 
Uh, by six and seven, they're getting much better at it uh, if they are trained in it, which is another point. We can train people in empathy. So the capacity for empathy exists, and if nurtured, it can grow and become a part of our daily lives and perhaps a standard or an expectation or a script that is written for us that you're supposed to feel empathy. Um, it's time to consider what Einstein intuited um, and really expand that circle of, I would say, empathy and compassion to include all living things and actually the environment, our natural resources that we're a part of. Getting back to that, our environmental crisis affects every living thing on Earth. COVID has affected us all. It's the way we have been raised that's led us to deny what all the physical sciences are telling us. We are interdependent. So part of empathy is looking into yourself and realizing that you too may have treated people with insensitivity and perhaps even cruelty, applying some self-compassion and understand that we can do things like apologize, make things right, uh, open a path to reconciliation, and find common ground with each other. We're all on a lifelong journey to hopefully be the best version of ourselves. All right, so that's it for today. We'll continue to talk about empathy, uh, in particular some of the blocks to offering and receiving empathy next time. In the meantime, try a meta-meditation. Try and slow yourself down a little bit um, through breathing, uh, being aware of your thoughts, um, and begin to experiment with feeling, offering, and receiving empathy. And let me know how it works out. Until next time, let's give ourselves and others some peace of mind.